there always have been, and always will be, different ways of doing things, of doing the same things. And Christmas is no different in this. It is the way we buy, whether it's the way we buy our presents, if we do, or when we buy them, the way we write our Christmas cards, do we send a letter or not, the way we prepare and cook our Christmas dinner, the way we open our presents, AM or PM, or whether we watch or listen to the royal speech or not. Whichever way we do these things, we can find those who do them differently. And sometimes we may wonder how on earth they do it that way and succeed. <laughs> if indeed they do. Have you ever considered the Christmas story? Have you ever considered the birth of Jesus and wondered why on earth, why on earth God planned it that way? Elizabeth Elliot, whose book some of you may be familiar with, once wrote this. It was a strange method that God chose to send Christ to earth. But he is in the business of doing things in ways we never imagined. And that is God, isn't it? God does things that we couldn't even imagine. Take the announcement of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, for example, and compare it to that of the announcement of John. The angel Gabriel, as we saw earlier, made the announcement of John's coming. He made it to a special man. He made it to Zachariah, who was a priest, and whose wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron, the priestly line. So these were the right people, we might say. <coughs> and it was also said of both of them that they were upright in the sight of God. They observed all the Lord's commandments and, re were, 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 re and regulations, and they were blameless. Can that be said of us? Are we following the Lord's commands? Are we following his regulations blamelessly? But he was not only a special man, and she was not only a special woman in that sense. The moment was a special moment for, for, for Zachariah. He was doing a job in the temple that he would never have to do again and had never done before. And it was in that special place, the temple, that Zachariah was, when, or Zacharias was, when this announcement was made. Everything about it, in a sense, was special. So, would we not have expected the announcement of the coming of the Messiah? of the Saviour, of Jesus, to be made to someone really special and in a really special place. 
say a palace of some sort, if not the temple again. But what do we find? We find the angel Gabriel, the same Gabriel who six months earlier had made the announcement to Zechariah that his wife Elizabeth would have a child whom they should now, we should name John. He was now at Nazareth. Nazareth. Do you know anything about Nazareth? Well, in John chapter 1 and verse 46, this is what John says, or one of the disciples said. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Gabriel, we have to say, or I have to say, because it's the way I look at him, had almost been affronted. He'd almost been affronted when Zechariah had not believed him. You may re recall what he said. He said in the words of Luke chapter 1 and verse 19, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. What did he feel now in Nazareth? Was his nose, if angels have noses, turned up as he entered Nazareth to find the one he had been sent to find, the one who was to be the mother of Jesus? Not an ordinary baby, but of the very Messiah, the very Son of God. Why this place, of all places? Why this young woman? Why this place? Exactly because it was where this young woman was living. And there is a reminder here, isn't there? And it, see, it is seen throughout the Christmas story that God's ways are not our ways, nor are our ways his ways, but in all things, his ways are best. What too was Gabriel's opinion of Mary? Did he think of her as a peasant? Did he think of her not worthy to be the mother of the Son of God? Did he think her too young to be given such an honour? Many might have thought so. But I doubt that Gabriel felt like that. Because Gabriel was doing God's bidding. And Gabriel, as an angel, knew that God's bidding was always right. Again, God's ways are not our ways, and nor are his ways ours. God chooses whom he will. Whether it is the old and the experienced Zachariah and Elizabeth, or the young and experienced Mary, or any in between, to do his work. There is not one of us sitting here this morning, as a Christian, who cannot be called upon to do a particular work for God. There are works that we have to do, works that we must do. But sometimes God comes to us and he says, I've got a different job for you. 
I've got a job that you're special for because I've made you right for this job. So the angel Gabriel went to Mary with what we consider the good news that she had found favour with God and that she was going to give birth to the saviour of the world in accordance with the Old Testament prophets. Good news it may have been, but it was a double-edged sword, as we shall see. Now I want, in, in the remainder of my time with you this morning, to look at Mary and to notice four things about her. This is not one of the old-time sermons where each and every section will be of the same length. So just because the first part of first section is, is a bit long, then don't think the rest of it is going to be as long. It won't be. First of all, I want to look at the choice of Mary in chapter 1 and verses 26 to 37. Now, we've got to try and get back into the time of Mary. We've got to try and get back into Jewish women at the time of Mary. Uh, how did Jewish women feel at that time in their Jewish history? There must have been a time, and possibly it still was, when every Jewish woman secretly hoped that she would be chosen to be the mother of Jesus. We can spend hours wondering what it was about Mary, what it was that she had that others didn't have, what she had done, what position she held that made God choose her. But it will all be to no avail. For there was only one reason why God chose her. And that was because it was his will. And it had been his will since before the foundation of the world. There is a great parallel here, isn't there? Between God's choice of Mary to be the mother of God and God's choice of us to be his people to be his servants there was nothing in any of us nothing that we had done or could do nothing of position in us that could make God choose us it was simply his will and we responded to that will if we have indeed responded to it. Moses, speaking to God's people in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verses 7 and 8, said this, The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people. For you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers and in the New Testament Jesus said to his disciples and says to us too in John 15 and verse 16 you did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you 
that you should go and bear fruit. What we find through both the Old and the New Testament is that God chose whom he would choose, both to be his children and his servants. And that is what we see here with Mary. When Gabriel went to Mary, she was, as we might imagine, greatly troubled. But not as Zachariah was at his presence, but by his words. It was his greeting that troubled her. It was those words of verse 28. Rejoice, highly favoured one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Or as the NIV puts it, greetings, you are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. What could these words possibly mean? She couldn't fathom them. She couldn't understand them. Didn't we wonder? Don't we still wonder? Something similar at the salvation we were offered and the salvation we were received. We received. Why me? Why should you give me salvation? Because I love you. I want you to be my child. I want you to be my servant. I want you to have eternal life. Even as Mary wondered, Gabriel tried to put her at ease, but only succeeded in making the situation worse in a sense. He told her she had found favour with God, she would be with child, and she would give birth to a son and name him Jesus. That was astounding. That was terrifying. The child, he went on to tell her, would be great, would be called the Son of the Most High, be given by God the throne of his father David, would reign over the house of Jacob forever and have a kingdom that would never end. That sounded great. But to this poor woman, young woman, probably very young woman, it was almost devastating as well as great. She must have been gobsmacked. Some of what Gabriel was saying might have resonated with some of her Jewish teaching. She may have been to the temple and, and heard the, 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 the priests talking about Isaiah and, and all those other promises in the Old Testament about a virgin who would conceive. But to have somebody come and say, this is going to be you, how could you take that in? Did she really realise what Gabriel was saying to her? Sometimes we too can be a bit slow to understand what God is saying to us, can't we? And even slower to respond. We need to remember that God has plans for us and God needs us to respond to those plans when he tells us about them. Well, it seems from her response in verse 34 that Mary hadn't yet grasped what Gabriel was saying. For she asked him how this could be as she was still a virgin. Could it be that in her upbringing, um, 
she had not heard the words of Isaiah the prophet, who in chapter 7 and verse 14 uh, of his prophecy wrote that a virgin would be with child. Perhaps this has slipped her mind or her understanding of it wasn't as it should have been. This happens to us, doesn't it? That verse, that promise that should help us in our situation of need somehow slips from our mind at the wrong time. Or we don't fully appreciate what God's word is saying to us. We need to study God's word to ensure that when difficult times come, we know the answer, because God is with us. Whatever the situation may have been, Mary did not seem to grasp the truth of Isaiah's prophecy, and hence her question. Now what is noticeable at this point is that her questioning of Gabriel does not provoke Gabriel as Zacharias did. Zacharias' questioning perhaps smacked of a certain amount of unbelief, whereas Mary's seems to be more out of interest in knowing how such a thing was to be accomplished in the circumstances. How do we question God? How do we question God? You say, I never question God. I suspect you do. We all do from time to time. Time. We, we question God. But how do we question him? Is it with a lack of faith? Or with a simple desire to know how he will respond? God knows that we have problems. God knows that sometimes we are frustrated. God knows that sometimes we're going to come to him, not angry, but... <laughs> Just wanting to know. We might want to berate Mary for being slow to understand. But that would be both harsh and foolish. For it is in responding to the question that Gabriel leaves us in no doubt as to what happened later. His response to her is as valid for us as it was for her and this is what that response was Gabriel's reply could not have been clearer what was going to happen the Holy Spirit would come upon her the power of the highest would overshadow her and these circumstances and these alone without intervention from anyone else would enable her to give birth to the Holy One who would be called the Son of God. This is a virgin birth. This is a Trinitarian birth. The Holy Spirit over her, the Father overshadowing her, and the Son being born of her, fully God and fully man. The Trinity at work in bringing about a virgin birth. Gabriel, anxious to confirm the situation, tells Mary about her cousin Elizabeth, who was also going to have 
a child. She was going to have a child in her old age, even though all considered her to be barren. To counter any further questions, Gabriel uses his trump card. If they had trump cards in those days. It comes in the form of those six or seven words, depending on which version of the Bible you are using that say it all. The familiar words of verse 37. For with God, nothing is impossible. It doesn't matter whether it's an old woman who is said to be barren and unable to have children, or a young woman who is a virgin and unable to have a child in her state. God can do it. And he does. Do we know the truth of the statement that nothing is impossible with God, even perhaps your salvation? I want to follow the choice of Mary with the confession of Mary in verse 38. It has been said that Mary's response to Gabriel, Mary's confession is one of the most moving confessions of faith to be found in scripture. Back in the Old Testament, when God went to Moses to commission him to go to Egypt and rescue his people, Moses, you remember, said this, not me, Lord, send someone else. When Jeremiah was called by God to go and prophesy to his people, Jeremiah said, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a child. <coughs> and Jonah, when told to go and preach, tried to run in a different direction. Yes, there were those who obeyed, such as Abraham and Isaiah. But there is something so simple and yet so profound in Mary's response. And it is simply this. Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Or as the NIV puts it, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. A simple response of faith. That's what God requires. A simple response of faith. In placing herself in God's hands in this way, she fulfilled the highest work of faith. And that is obedience. Faith and obedience. Did Mary consider the future? Did she think through what this would mean? Did she wonder what people would think, what people would say? Did she even for a minute have any thought for what it would do to her relationship with Joseph? Did she consider what being the mother of the Messiah would mean? Not just for her, but also for her son. Or did she simply accept that she was what she was? a servant of God, being told what God required of her 
and therefore prepared to do it. This all sounds so simple, doesn't it? It all sounds so, so simple. But as we all know, it's not as simple as it sounds for us, is it? It wasn't her family, or Joseph, or her friends, and nor was it she herself who came first in her life, but God. And we have to ask, have to ask ourselves this, is this so for us? Does God have first place in my life? Part of our problem is that we think too much of what it will mean for us, what it will cost us. If we become Christians or if we, if we respond positively to, the, to his demands on our life. There is too much of what's in it for me. And not enough, not nearly enough, of what does God require of me. There's far too much of what my church can do for me and nowhere near enough of what I can do for my church. Mary must have had some idea at least of what God required of her, but her response was still positive. What does God require of you? And is your response going to be so positive? The third thing we note about Mary here is the confirmation for Mary, in verses 39 to 56. Sometimes the things God asks us to do cause us to want reassurance, cause us to want confirmation. And God knows this. And God gives this where necessary. It was necessary here. And we find Mary acting on Gabriel's words and going off to see Elizabeth. It was possibly the last thing she wanted to do. I haven't got time to do that. Uh, I can't get there e easily. But when she got there, what a blessing it was. And sometimes God makes us work. He makes us work. And what we see when she went to Elizabeth was that he gave her more than confirmation. You see, Elizabeth knew immediately, even before Mary had a chance to tell her that she was pregnant. And pregnant with the Son of God. What confirmation, what more confirmation could she want? John, the baby within Elizabeth, leaped for joy in her womb as Mary called out her greeting. It was surely more than Mary could have wished for. But note Elizabeth's words concerning Mary, recorded in verse 45. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfilment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And so now, fully realising the blessing God was bestowing upon her, she sang her song that we now call 
the Magnificat. Do people call us blessed? Because they know we believe what the Lord says to us will be accomplished. Are we longing for some confirmation from God about something this morning? May he give it to us as plainly as he gave it to Mary. And finally, we look briefly at the consequences for Mary. What did Mary know of the consequences of what God told her? She knew perhaps that it would be difficult for her with Joseph and with her family and with her friends. But what else did she know? She probably had no idea that in a few months there will be a long and weary journey, a night or two in a stable because there was no room elsewhere, that she would give birth in that stable and place her baby in a feeding trough for a cart. She probably had little idea that when he grew into a man, he would have abuse hurled at him by sceptical and fickle crowds who didn't understand him. And finally, that she would see him bear his cross to Calvary and there die an unseemly and horrible death. But in some ways, in some ways, This is what it means to be chosen of God. The road that leads to eternal and abundant life, the narrow road that leads to heaven, always seems to go by the way of the cross. Jesus said that whoever would follow him must take up his cross, not their crown, but their cross and then follow him. The cross will be different for each one of us, but nevertheless, it will be a cross. Are we still prepared to carry it? Mary, it is said, is an example of faith validated, not by question of what might have been, but by obedience. Let it be to me according to your word. And may it be so too for us. Let it be to me according to your word.